0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
1: Worship and praise choir as we stand. As we continue to worship, how can I keep from singing your praise? Sing the song How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am. And
2: quaked before It is when... Well. This way. me
0: Amen, amen. I like the way you did that, Katie. Make them think the song's over and they'll have to clap twice that way. <laughs> I am so proud of her. I've been working with her for three years now. Miss Linda on the piano. I've been working with her for about a year now, and they have come a long way. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> now I'm going to uh, I'm going to put a task to all of you. Normally, I would task my wife with such a task, but she's having to take care of one of our children this morning. So at the conclusion of this service, before I call on somebody to pray, to conclude us and dismiss us, I want somebody to remind me, in case I forget, because it's likely that I may, that I wanted to pray for something special. Can y'all handle that? If we get ready to go, and I haven't said what we're praying for special, somebody remind me, because sometimes I get going, and it's after service, and I say, man, I forgot that. Alright, so that's your job. Normally it's my wife's job. That's why she does this when we're closing sometimes. She's reminding me of something. So just somebody remind me. Can y'all handle it? Okay. Alright. So here's how this works. I ask a question and then you respond with an answer. Can you handle that? Amen. All right. If we don't get this part down where I say something and you say amen or something like that, I will preach all day long. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I like to talk fast. I get excited sometimes. And the more times you say amen, the faster I talk, the sooner you eat lunch, okay? That's a little secret that you may not have figured out about me. So Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13 this morning. A loving love will impact others. A loving love will impact others. I want to say real quickly a big thank you uh, to Jesse and Jimmy in the back. Uh, Guys, we have a tremendous blessing back there in our media team. Uh, This morning, Brother David is out camping. Sister Loretta uh, called this morning. She's not feeling well. And praise the Lord that these two young men have stepped up and they've gotten the words on the screen. The best I could tell, they didn't miss any. If they did, they missed them real quick where we didn't notice. The the volume was on. Everything was working. So a big thank you uh, to those gentlemen. But Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, a loving love will impact others. And as we gather... This morning, we find ourselves on the day following our monthly Hearts for Hunger food giveaway. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is exactly, Hearts for Hunger each month gives out 35 boxes of food to two communities that are closest to our church. Uh, to our our actual church building. And so we reach out to those communities with food once a month. And we gather the food throughout the month, both in our Sunday school classes and through monetary and individual donations. So people go to the grocery store, pick up a few extra things and bring them in, or they give money uh, and people go and shop for the food. And our Sunday school classes have specific lists of stuff that that they are to gather. And then we load those boxes and deliver those boxes. And so uh, I tell you this, Uh, Because it dawned on me that it's been a while since I kind of reiterated that. We have some new faces. Maybe we have some faces who have forgotten what we're doing. People have lost sight of this ongoing ministry of this church. It is a tremendous opportunity each month to to plug in and, and take part in this. This is a mission effort of this church. And another reason I pointed out this morning is because it goes hand in hand with the text as Paul writes this letter to the Romans because it's going to point us to a difficult truth. And that difficult truth is this. It is simply not possible to possess a love from Christ and not have an impact on the people around you. Let me say that again. It is simply not possible to possess a love from Christ and not impact The people that are around you. By nature, a child of God will impact a change in their family, in their community, and in those who come in contact with them. It should never be a question whether or not you know Jesus. The way that you love others and the way that you impact others should make it painfully obvious that you're one of those Jesus freaks. When I was a kid, the song Jesus Freak. I look at Brent because he listened to the same band that I did. DC Talk had a song. What would people think if they labeled me Jesus Freak? And I used to love that song because it was a rap song I could get away with listening to. But beyond that, what would they think if I was a Jesus Freak? And that is what everybody should say about every child of God. Is look at that doggone Jesus peddling Jesus Freak out doing all that Jesus stuff again. There should never be a doubt whose we are by the way that we impact others. Now please stand, if you're able, in the house this morning for the reading of the holy words of our holy God from Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, and distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Let us pray, Father God, we pray that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell among us this morning. God, we thank you for your Spirit's presence, God. God, we pray that our our music portion of our service that it was glorifying and honoring to you and you alone. God, we pray that the the teaching and the preaching and the reading of your word, that it too will glorify your holy name, and that if there were to be something spoken in error, you would cause it to be skipped over in the notes. God, we pray you bind any devil, demon, or spirit from this place that might cloud us from true worship of you for the next few minutes. And we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory. As all of God's children said, Amen, and you may be seated. already run them two off. (laughs) I'll show them. Romans chapter 12 is really a tremendous chapter. It's really a kickoff or a start to what I call the practical section of the book of Romans. And what I mean by that is if you glance back at verse 1 of chapter 12, you see it starts with one of those uh, connecting phrases. And so he uses that big word, therefore. You can look back at that and see. Uh, But Paul is writing, and essentially when he gets to chapter 12, he kind of starts what I call one of these pivot points with that word, therefore. And he's kind of saying, if you understand what I wrote in the first 11 chapters of this letter, then move on to chapter 12. And so what in the world is Paul writing in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans? Well, he's writing the theology of God. He's writing about salvation by grace alone and faith alone. He's writing that we are sinners. All of us are sinners. And that we all lie in death because of our sin. That we cannot be reconciled to a God that is holy. That we cannot be called back to to stand before in a proper standing a God who is holy because of our sin apart from the salvation of Jesus Christ alone. And that's essentially what Paul is writing for eleven chapters. Is this you're a sinner, God is holy, and Jesus is the only way that you can be made in a proper standing before God. And so Paul is writing all these things, and I like to think of Paul writing this letter. And I believe as he penned all this theology, I just like to think he kind of had one of them fits. You know those fits you have when you just get so tore up from the floor up about the God of heaven and what He's done for you. And Paul writes all those chapters, and he says, "All right, guys, if you got that." then you're saved. And if you're saved, here's what you're going to do. And he kind of starts to pour that out in chapter 12. And he begins to write through the next, really, three and a, three and a half chapters of the book of Romans. Paul is teaching us how we will live in, in, a, in a fact that we are saved. So how does a believer act in this world? How do believers interact with one another? How do they treat one another? How do they teach one another? How do they admonish one another? And what do they look like in this world? And so he starts to write practically. Uh, and this simple truth surfaces right away, and it should be paramount in our lives. All right, And that is this. If you're saved, you should act differently than you did before. Let me say that again. If you are saved... You should act differently than you did before. And that's what Paul is calling the attention to here. Listen, those people who know Jesus are going to act different than the people that don't know Jesus. We should be markedly different than the world. And so the first thing that we're going to look at is that we will be marked by love that comes from Christ. A love that only comes from Christ. Paul wrote all that about theology. And then in verse 9 he says that our love, it will be without hypocrisy. It will be a genuine love. It will be a real love. It will not be a a, a false love. It will not be a love that the world understands. It will be a real love. Now, a few weeks ago when we talked about hypocrisy, we said that that it was essentially when, when people lived their lives to honor man instead of in the fear of God. That that is what created a hypocrisy. Is when we looked to please man and to do what we thought man wanted to see instead of living in honor of God, it caused us to live a life of hypocrisy. And so how does a, a believer love in a way that honors God and is not full of hypocrisy as a true and real love? And he goes on to say, by hating the evil and clinging to the good. So what in the world does that even mean? What does that phrase mean? Hating the evil and clinging to the to the good mean. It literally means that you will reject what is evil. That you will detest the things that are evil. That you will not bind yourself to what is evil. And then that word of cling to what is good, I love that word. It literally means to glue yourself. To, to come into one with what is good. And so how do we love without hypocrisy? We distance ourselves from the evil things and make ourselves one with the good things. Now, that's exciting because it's not just good things in terms of what we think looks good or what we think feels good or what makes us happy or what we want to be good. That word actually means what is intrinsically good or what is by its nature good. My friends, believers in the house, what makes something intrinsically good? It's Jesus, the Lord. The Lord's anointing is what makes something intrinsically good. Not whether or not you like it. Not whether or not you want it. Not whether or not it feels good or makes you happy. It's whether or not it is of the Lord. That is what makes it good at its very nature. So we're going to be marked by love that is sincere, that's without false pretense, that will cause us to reject the things that are evil and cause us to join to the things that are good in their nature. And how in the world does one accomplish this? Is that a kind of love that we can muster up for ourselves, folks? Is that the kind of love that you can just decide one day, you know what, I'm going to start hating evil things, I'm going to start loving the good things. No, that's not something you can manufacture of yourself. Scripture tells you that you're a sinner, that you don't got nothing good inside of you apart from Jesus Christ. So there's no way you can suddenly start hating what is evil. Why? Because by your very nature, you're evil and it's not natural to hate yourself. You're not going to accomplish that in and of yourself. First John 4 says that in this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a payment for our sins. And if God so loved us in this way, then we ought to love others. 1 John 4 also says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Let me sum that up in Rocky Valley, uh, Wilson County, Tennessee terms, because I know some of you went to Watertown. If you know God, you know love. If you don't know God, You don't have the capacity to love. Now, I know that there's people in the world, maybe somebody's listening to this on the podcast, and they're going to say, well, my brother was an atheist. I think he loved me. No, he didn't. He loved you in an earthly way, the only way he knew how. He had a feeling for you. But God is love. If he didn't know God, he didn't love. Because to know God is to know love. And not to know God, the scripture says, is not to know love. Ephesians 2 speaks of Christ's love in this way. It says, God being rich in his mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. The love that is from Christ is not a love that we can manifest of ourselves. In fact, we don't even have the capacity to love apart from Christ. Scripture says, if we know the Father, we will know the Son, and vice versa. To know one is to know the other. And this is why these verses, think about where they're placed in the book of Romans. Because I'm going to go and tell you, I could stand up, probably in an awful lot of places, be they secular or in the church house, and start talking about love and a loving God, and people would naturally want to incline their ears to hear a message about love, because people are real quick to say, well, "Well, God is love, so you shouldn't hate my sin." They're real quick to cling on to that loving God thing, right? That's that's what they turn around and say to the to the believers in the house. They say, "Well, I can't believe y'all act that way. If y'all worship a, a loving God, surely He wouldn't hate me and what I'm doing." So they want to stick to it. But 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 Paul didn't write about love at the beginning in order to try to win people to Christ, did he? He didn't start out in chapter 1 of Romans and say, God is love, therefore you ought to be saved. No, no, no. He said you ought to be saved before I talk about love because you don't know what love is until you've been saved. So the love that we're marked by as a believer and what should steep through our lives and be shown in our lives is the love that only comes from Christ alone. And so the first thing that we're going to look at is that we're going to be marked by a love that comes from Christ. Second, the love of family. The love of family. Now, I'm not about to twist this message to be about loving your mothers. I'm not a week late on my Mother's Day message. And I'm not trying to build up to the Father's Day message about loving your family because Christ loved you. That's not what this is about. But I am going to call our attention to part of what it means to be marked by this love of Christ and how it will impact the way you live. Look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10 starts out with a phrase. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Now, I don't spend a lot of time on Greek words, but I think it's important that we understand what is written here because it it really kind of calls our attention to something that I think is very important. This phrase, kindly affectionate, it's actually a compound Greek word where both of the words actually mean love. So it almost could be translated, be lovingly loving. Be lovingly loving. The first word is the Greek word philo, which talks about that warm, embracing kind of love, that warm and friendly and embracing, that love that you know, that love that makes you feel good inside. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. The last word is storge, which is a word that's talking about a family-type love, so a natural love, the love that you have for your family. It's the same word that Paul used when he wrote in 2 Timothy. To Timothy, he said, hey, in the last days, there's going to be a breakdown In the storge love, the the natural love that's supposed to be there in the last days, it's not going to be there. Families are not going to love each other naturally the way that they're supposed to love each other. We're not going to love those that we are just designed to love naturally anymore in those last days. There's going to be a breakdown in those normal relationships. So literally what this phrase is saying, when it says be kindly affectionate, it's saying that we should have a love for one another that is like that family type of natural love. The love... That doesn't become because of something you're going to get in return. The love that's not based on the merit of the other person. The love that has nothing to do with with how you're you know you get a return of investment on things. You know you, I'm gonna love this person because I believe they're going to be able to do these things for me later. No no no. When it says be kindly affectionate, it is literally saying we should have a natural love for one another Amen. as believers. You, you ever you ever you ever meet a child? It's just one of those kids you know, maybe you've taught Bible school or uh, you you've taught a class or you've gone to help at the school read or something, and there's one of those kids where you look at them and you might make this statement, boy, only a mama could love that kid <laughs> right It's not a love based on what that kid's going to do in return because if it was. You'd want to strangle them. But you know, when mama looks at that baby, you know what she sees? Everything good. She loves that baby, doesn't she? She's got a natural love. You know what the Word of God says that we ought to have with each other? Is a natural love for other believers. Ooh, it hurts, don't it? That's tough, ain't it? Well, Brother Jason, the, the, you see the way they act sometimes. I don't care how they act. Yeah. Don't matter how they act. If they're a child of God, you ought to have a natural love for them. Why? Cuz they got the same daddy you got. You ought to have a natural love for one another in the house of the Lord. This phrase literally means we don't have the option to say it's based on what they do. What it literally means is we ought to be kindly, affection, lovingly loving, a warm family-style love. For each other, and we ought to be marked by that love. I've seen this at times, church. Man, I've seen it play out at times. Come to the end of the service, and I'll say something like, Listen, church, we have a need within one of the families in the house this morning. And because of the situation and because of the privacy, I'm not going to tell you who this person is or what this need is, but we're going to take up a love offering to meet the need of somebody. And man, I've seen the love just pour out in that offering. And the blessings just pour out on somebody. Why? You don't know who you're helping. You don't know what situation you're helping. You don't know if they deserve it or not. You just know they need it. And you're going to pour out the love to them in the best way that you know how by giving through this love offering. Man, I'm telling you what, I have seen that where I just shake my head when it's over. And go, man, what a loving bunch of people to give this morning. There's a last part to this love, though. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Have that family and and warm, natural love. And honor and give preference to one another. Now, that's going to hurt a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. The next few minutes aren't going to be all that fun. So, What does that mean? Honor and give preference to one another. Well, it means that we'll make the needs... Of somebody else more important than our own needs. That we'll make what somebody else needs take precedent over what our own needs are. Notice I didn't say that we won't have needs of our own. And once we're done meeting all of our own needs, then we'll look to meet the needs of the other. No, no, no. I said while you still have needs of your own, you'll look to meet the needs of others. That that's the kind of love that you'll show. We will honor them. We'll esteem them. We'll place them up and give them See to them before you see to yourself. Paul writes in Philippians 2 that we'll do nothing with a selfish ambition but esteem others first and look to the interest of others. And this is our reasonable sacrifice. As Paul introduces chapter 12 in that way, before he gets into practical living, he says, your bodies will be presented to God as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable service to God. And he goes on to list these things. And he said, it is reasonable for a believer who has been loved by Christ to turn around and love others and see the needs of others as more important than our own. Esteem them as more important than ourselves. Now, I don't normally try to point too many fingers from the pulpit, but if I'm being completely honest, we just don't flat do a good job with this one sometimes. Not, not just Rocky Valley. That's not what I'm saying. But America, but Christians, as the global church in general, but quite frankly, us at Rocky Valley too. Sometimes we don't do a good job as people of seeing the needs of others and recognizing them more than we recognize our own needs. We're really, really quick to point out just how busy we are or how much we have going on. We have got a very quick excuse for why we can't go and help somebody or do something when a need comes up. And I, I, listen, I am the chief of sinners here. I'm not pointing out anybody else's flaws but my own. But at the end of the day, what does the scripture teach us? Overlook your own situation and esteem the need of somebody else is more important than your own. Yay! Practically speaking, that means I know you're busy and I know you're tired. And I know that your work may have been stressful this week. I know things may be tough. But quite frankly, you ought to put those things aside and see to the needs of those around you. I was so busy. Kids kids played ball three nights this week and had practice the other two nights. We had church on Wednesday. We had church on Sunday morning. We had church on Sunday night. We had to eat out three times because I didn't have time to cook supper because we was running to the ball field. The garden needs weeding. I don't water them plants. They're going to die. I'm just so busy. I don't know that I have the time. Guess what? I can promise you this. This is my solemn promise. I know this. I've lived it. I've seen it. If I were to stand at the back door and ask every person on their way out whether they had a busy week coming up this week, there's not one person that would say, you know what? I really don't got nothing. Nobody looks at their lives and says, man, I just ain't got nothing going on. Yeah, brother, I got time to do whatever in the world it is that you want done, brother Jason. Yeah, let's go do it. So quite frankly, I don't care how busy you are. And I don't care how busy I are. What I care about is the word of God says I should esteem the needs of others as more important than myself. That means even when my schedule is full, Other people's needs still come first if I'm going to be marked by a love of Christ. Work was tough this week. Paul said the Christian life is tough. How many of you have been shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned? How many of you were stoned and left for dead? If you wasn't, Paul said hush up and get up and go and serve the Lord. Because I was left for dead, I've been stoned, I've been in prison, I've been shipwrecked. And when I got there, I just kept serving the Lord and just kept preaching. So I don't care if your boss came down on you hard this week. I don't care if you worked 10 extra hours. And I don't care if your best pig got sick and you had to go to the veterinarian. What I care about is that if you see someone in need and you know that there is a need among you, we ought to be marked by a love that says, let me pick you up, brother. Let me worry about you. And you know what the good news about that is? It's kind of a cyclical thing or a cyclical thing. I don't know the right way to say that, it's kind of a circle. If we all start living that way, if we were to all grab hold of that truth and start living and loving that way as believers, as a community of believers in the local fellowship, guess what? When you had a tough week, there's going to be somebody there to pick you up because you're picking somebody else up who's picking somebody else up and ain't nobody sitting there with nobody picking them up. The problem is we only about half grab hold of it. And then we feel like somebody's not holding our end up, and then we decide we're not going to hold somebody else's end up. But God says, to be marked by love of Christ, be marked by esteeming the needs of others more important than ourselves. Amen. In fact, James was even harder on us. In James chapter three, verse 16 and 17, he says, "Where envy and self-seeking exist, as self-seeking means looking to me first. Where that exists, evil things abound. But where there is wisdom that comes from above, it is pure and without hypocrisy. You know what James said? If you look to serve yourself first, you're not a believer. That's what he was saying right there. Tough, isn't it? He says, if you are a believer, your natural inclination will be to impact others first. You will look to affect others. So we have this love that is from Christ, and it is a family-type love, but it's also marked by a service. And we're going to see a few characteristics of love here in the last few verses. The first thing we see is that it is not lagging in diligence. Right? This love, it's, it's not lagging in diligence. You know what that means? That means it's in a hurry. It's not waiting. It's not sitting back. It's not looking for somebody else to do it first. It's I'm going to be diligent and I'm going to be about this work that God has put me to. In other words, I'm going to serve the Lord by serving each other because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here, quite frankly. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have the ability to serve someone. Do you know that I have never sat with someone who's come towards the end of their lives and had them look at me and say, Man, I wish I'd have just spent less time serving other people. I wish I could have had some of that time I spent looking after the needs of the others back. No, no, no. Nobody's ever said that. You know what else they ain't ever said? They ain't ever said, I wish I'd have worked more at my job. We don't know, quite frankly, how much longer we got here. All our clocks may be up in just a moment. The Lord may come back before we finish this sermon. But what we do know is we have now. And we ought to be diligently looking to serve the Lord by serving each other and spreading this love of Christ everywhere we go while we have an opportunity. We ought to be hasty in our service. We ought to be rejoicing in hope with one another. I'm going to go quickly through these last few for the interest of time. We ought to be rejoicing in hope, looking to each other, saying, listen, this situation is not hopeless. No matter what it looks like from an earthly standpoint, no matter what it feels like, no matter what you think, this situation is not hopeless. We ought to have patience in a tribulation. It means we ought to sit down beside each other in a bad time and say, I'm right here. I don't know how long this is going to last, but brother, I need you to keep the faith. Because God said he's not going to leave you nor forsake you, so you're not... You're not going to be without. God said he's going to sustain you through it all, and I'm going to be right here with you through it all. Patience in a tribulation. Be an encouraging word to someone. Look at this next one. Steadfastly in prayer. Quite frankly, to love somebody is to pray for somebody. Is that a difficult task no shouldn't be not if you'll do it not if you'll discipline yourself to make prayer part of your lives prayer for others you know I'm gonna confess something to you a few years ago it's been five or six years ago now I became so convicted by my prayer life that I made a pledge and I had to make a pledge now some of you may laugh at this I had to make a pledge that I was going to spend time praying for somebody besides me and my family every day. Because I looked at my prayer life and I found out that I did a good job of praying for mama and daddy and my wife and my kids and me. But I didn't do a very good job of praying for other people. And I said, I'm going to make a commitment to pray for somebody else every day. And did you know that there were days at the beginning where I had to look for somebody to pray for? But did you know that by now it ain't no trouble for me to figure out who to pray for? It's a a habit. It's a discipline to say, I'm going to pray for somebody. And you know what's good about that? Is if we start doing this as a group of believers where we're willing to serve one another and love one another by praying for one another, it just becomes the natural inclination to pick up the phone and say, hey, can you pray for me? Can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? We ought to be continuing steadfastly in prayer for one another. You know what else? I'm going to tell you something else. Sometimes when I'm going through things in my life, I don't really feel like picking up the phone and calling you and saying, will you pray for me? But you know what you could still do if you wanted to? You go and pray for me anyway. Sometimes we don't feel like picking up the phone and saying, I I need you to pray for me, but you know what? You ought to be praying for one another anyway. That ought to be the natural inclination of a body of believers is that we would just pray for one another. We ought not have to tell each other to pray for one another. We ought to just be praying for one another. Why? Because God has knit us together in this place for a purpose that we would pick each other up. And the most natural thing I can do to pick up Brother Mike is to pray for him whether he asked me to or not. And the best thing that Brother Ray can do for me is to pray for me whether I asked him to or not. Let me make a formal request. I want you all to pray for me every day. And I'll make a formal promise that I'll pray for all of you every day. Now can we just do that with each other? That's what this is talking about. That's weird, Brother Jason. That's different. Never heard that talked about before. Guess what? Jesus was different and he shook the world up. His disciples were different and they changed the world. What if we acted different inside the church house and began to just pray for one another before we were asked to? I would be venturing to guess we wouldn't have to concern ourselves with whether we had the money to pay the light bill. We'd have to figure out how to house everybody and how many services we had to have because people would want to be a part of that church That prays for each other. Because God would pour out the blessings like you wouldn't believe. And God's people would be closer to him than you would believe. Distributing to the needs and giving to hospitality. We should take care of each other. We should serve each other. And we should love each other. Not because of what we can get out of them. But simply because of who they belong to. Do you notice something about these marks of love? Every one of them have nothing to do with a pretty feeling. And they ain't none of them that you do all by yourself. They're all things that you do when you're serving other people. Where do we find other believers to do those things with? Inside the local fellowship. Inside the church. It's where we can most accurately live out our faith is when we're involved in the local church. And you know something else about this love of Christ? It's going to impact the people around you. You start living out a love in this way, and it is going to change the people that you come in contact with. It's not self-seeking, it's not self-absorbed, but it is outwardly serving others. So how do we do that? Only through the love of Christ. Only through Christ. It's not natural to do that. What's natural is to look out for number one. What makes me happy? What makes me feel good? But suddenly when Christ comes into a life, that focus starts to become outward. How can I share this love with somebody else? So this morning, how do we respond to this message? Well, some of you here have quite frankly been too busy, too lazy, too tired, or too blind to realize that people around you needed serving. Come lay that at the feet of Jesus this morning. Say, God, give me a servant's heart. Give me a servant's will. Give me a servant's desire and give me your eyes that I might see those around me in need. Some of you need to come this morning and make a covenant to pray for your church family this morning. Quite frankly, you haven't been doing a good job of that. That's okay. That's okay. Most of the rest of us haven't either need to make a covenant together that we're going to pray for one another. And quite frankly, somebody here needs to understand that they can't do any of these things until they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You can't love like Christ until you know Christ. Matter of fact, you can't love at all until you know Christ. Let this morning be the morning that you come to know a love that is beyond your earthly comprehension and a freedom that is beyond all belief let's pray Father God God we come to you this morning recognizing that we are inadequate incapable and unable of loving one another the way you've called us to love one another but God we also stand on the faith that you are completely capable completely able and in the business of showing that love to us so God help us to love each other the way that you love us. Help us to love each other the way your word calls us to. Help us to pray for one another steadfastly to endure tribulations and storms together. Help us to meet each other's needs. Help us, God, to be the church that you created. God, if there's someone here said, I've never known this love. I've never felt this kind of love. I've never felt this change. God, would you give them the courage to come and confess your holy name, to confess you as Lord, accept you as Savior, and to be embraced in the arms of Christ this morning. God, we love you, we praise you, and we will give you the honor and the glory for all you do. It is in your name we pray, Jesus.